the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is Sarah Sherman from Davie, Florida, in the greater Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. Sarah and I went to high school together, played some music together, ran around town together. We go way back. Sarah had a childhood dream of being an attorney, went to UC Santa Barbara, then the University of Miami for law school, passed the bar, achieved that goal. After getting married and having two girls, Sarah is now out of the legal field and owns her own business, Psalm 51 Soap making handcrafted artisanal soaps from high-quality natural ingredients. Her shop can be found on psalm51soap.com and on Facebook at psalm51soap. And you can see evidence of her self-confessed Pinterest obsession on Instagram at smcsherman. Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. So it's been a long time. You were one of the first people I put on the list about having an interesting story, attorney, soap maker, entrepreneur. I thought that was pretty interesting. So... The first question would normally be, what does a soap maker do? But I think the answer is in the question. Um, so tell us just a little bit about soap making in general. Okay. So, yeah, I handcraft soap. The main process I use for soap is called cold process soap. There are multiple types, like hot process, um, C-pop. There's a bunch. But I do cold process soap making, which involves uh, mixing lye in water and letting it cool to room temperature and then mixing a variety of oils um, like coconut oil, olive oil, and um, then mixing the two. And it goes through a process called saponification, which then makes soap. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. How did you originally get into soap making? Um, I took a class with some friends back in early 2014 and like it was a bombs night out and after the very first class i was hooked okay so so making was that something you'd been interested in or was it just something you saw on the mom's night out flyer and decided to stop in and see what it was about honestly a friend of mine uh asked me if i wanted to join her she had uh, met the the woman who was teaching the class who's actually now a very good friend of mine um but uh she had met her at a craft fair and found out she taught classes so i went uh and took a class from her. Okay. So as a soap maker, what's a basic day like for you? Soap maker, mom, entrepreneur, all things considered. Well, I can only make soap when my kids are either uh, not home or sleeping because it is caustic at first. Okay. And so I either get up super early and make it, or um, when they used to nap, I made it at nap time every single day. Um, now they no longer nap, unfortunately. Yeah, and I've, so I've got that too. I, <laughs> yeah, so I now make it mostly late at night. Um, it takes a couple hours between heating oils and the lye in the water and well, they heat up naturally through a reaction, but to then cool it back down and then be able to work with it. So oh, wow. I usually like start at nine o'clock at night. And I mean, I would say on an average day, I finish around midnight. Okay. Interesting. 
So how do you see an opportunity in the market for handcrafted natural soaps? Uh, what's it like trying to convince people this is better for them than a 99-cent bar of ivory from Target? <laughs> yes, I do actually get that question a, a lot um, in terms <laughs> of why is it uh, better. Well, my biggest thing is is that you can read every ingredient on my labels. Um, you know, uh, having children, I started, you know, really having an interest in wanting them to have the least amount of chemicals possible put in their body if, you know, if and when possible. And um, I found that with making soap myself, I can use like three ingredients. I mean, I basically use, I can use water, coconut oil, and sodium hydroxide or lye, and you have a bar of soap. It doesn't have a bunch of additives or um, like surfactants or anything in it. It's wow. just natural. Interesting. So I've seen your website. You've got all kinds of stuff on there, and you've got seasonal stuff, and you've got you know different shapes. You've got one that looked like Pop Rocks and Fruit Loops and all kinds of stuff. So do you have a creative routine or ritual for making and planning, or do you have a process of getting inspiration for these new shapes and smells, or do you just kind of wing it? You mentioned a Pinterest addiction. Um, so <laughs> I see soap in pretty much everything. So you give me something and I can see how I can make a bar of soap like that. Okay. So it comes, it becomes like a challenge to me. Like, like for example, last year at Christmas, I made my children are obsessed with the Christmas story, the Grinch. Okay. And, um, so I made them this Grinch bread last year, which had a red heart in the middle and the bread was green. And then this year I was like, wait, I can make that into a soap. So um, basically I see it and I then make a soap of it. I mean, I have pie soap, you know, you, you name it. There's just things that I see out and then decide, <laughs> decide that would make good soap. So Yeah, and I, the problem is that some of that stuff looks so good you want to eat it and or smells um, so good. I have, I've had children, uh, I've had a child take a bite of a popsicle soap at a craft fair. Oh, geez. And um, their mother was a little bit horrified. I, you know explained that it was definitely non-toxic it probably didn't taste very good kind of like getting your mouth washed out right, with soap. Right. but um but yes i actually do have on my labels especially um i do a lot of favors for like kids birthday parties or oh, things right, like that right and so i do have on there you know this may look good enough to eat but please don't it's soap <laughs> right i did so mad when there's a soap or shampoo that smells so good i want to taste it you know the ones that really get me are like citrus and pineapple and Mm -hmm. I mean, if it smells good enough to make my mouth water, it should be food. I mean, that's, I don't know. I hear you. I do get that a lot. But I will say um, most of the ones I have that are like that, well, you can't eat them. I mean, you, I guess you could. You probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, if you have them in, a, in, in like, a, you know, your bathroom or kitchen, um, the smell is typically strong enough to help scent that room. So okay. at least you can enjoy the scent um, without eating it. Right, right. <laughs> Now, I can attest to the quality. We ordered some soaps last year, and Allie loved them, especially the uh, snowman soap that you threw in. Um, you've got a sign on your marketing that says the soap is not just for decoration, and I get why, because I'll admit I even felt that, that, you know, hey, Allie, you like this soap so much. If you use it, it's going to go away, you know, and I, I can attest to uh, trying to feel that, and I bet you have a lot of that where, no, like, use it. It's good for you. <laughs> And then buy more. Yes, I do get that a lot. And I take um, that sign is actually hanging in my bathroom at all times. It, yeah, it says um, the soap is not just for decoration. Please use it. 
And I do take that sign to every single craft show because I can't tell you the number of people that say that to me. Right. But my thing and my response typically is like, say your go- your kid's going to a birthday party. Don't you want the favor to go away afterwards? Like as opposed <laughs> to having, you know, some like little knickknack that you then step on in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Or that up your car or something. This is something that you can use. And then it goes away, which I, is awesome. Yep. <laughs> I stepped on my first lay a couple of weeks ago. The struggle is real. I, I thought that was yes, just a is. joke. Oh, my God. <laughs> Big old orange Duplo, just, oh, man. Yes, they do hurt when you step on them. I have done that as well. So I mentioned we've known each other since high school. Um, As far back as I can remember, you wanted to be an attorney. Um, I know lawyer, doctor, astronaut, those are fairly common dream jobs for intelligent kids. Um, I remember you were very um, good at um, debating and making your points known and heard. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I've been told that, uh, to, yeah, we're trying to be safe here, but, uh, uh, do you remember a specific reason aside from, you know, the kind of one of the typical dream jobs of knowing why that was what you wanted to do, why you wanted to go to college for that and move forward? Um, from the time I was a, a small child, I think basically for the exact reason that you mentioned, I believe, um, in terms of being able to make my point known. My parents told me from, honestly, as far back as I can remember that I would make a good lawyer. And so it always just kind of stuck. I don't think that I, until I got into college, I don't think that I thought too much about doing anything else. It was just kind of like it was, you know, it was a a loving joke, but that at the same time, I really thought, especially, I guess, in my senior year of high school, when I took um, environmental science, I felt passionately about the environment and really at that time wanted to... um, be an environmental lawyer because I thought I could combine my love of that with my career path of lawyer. Okay. <laughs> and uh, unique, uniquely skilled personality traits. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll say it that way. Um, and so I went to UC Santa Barbara originally for environmental, environmental science. And then about halfway through, I switched to law and society, I'm still taking a lot of environmental science classes, but I had taken an environmental law class, which switched me over like completely to this I want to do even as an undergrad major law so that is my undergrad and my grad degree okay so how'd you end up at the University of Miami moving you know all the way across the country from everybody you know oh did you have a buddy that you went with or was this just it was the right school right place actually I spent my senior year of college in London and um while I was it was about November in London which is cold and I got a pamphlet from University of Miami offering to waive my application fee if I applied based on my grades and my LSAT scores. Okay. And looking at the palm trees on the brochure <laughs> from freezing cold London, though I absolutely love London, right. um, I, I honestly applied on a whim and things just kind of fell into place. I, you know, I received um, a partial scholarship and I went out and visited and loved it. And that's actually how I ended up in um, in Miami, I had no intention of staying um, at that time, but that is how I ended up there. Okay. So you go to law school, Miami, you pass the bar. What's the first couple of jobs? Uh, what kind of law did you end up practicing? Um, I originally was um, a plaintiff's attorney um, in civil law in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, when I first graduated law school, um, my dad had cancer and he was undergoing treatment near there. So I moved to, I actually took the Georgia bar first and was a civil plaintiff's attorney in Atlanta. And when my father passed, I moved back to um, South Florida with my now husband. And I did uh, international criminal law with the British consulate. Oh, wow. And then I was also a prosecutor wow, uh, wow. for Broward County. Wow. I know you can't 
discuss any specifics, but in broad terms, any interesting international law cases that you worked on? Um, the most interesting thing I did, my fa I guess my favorite project I worked on while I um, worked for the British consulate was, uh, well, it was really through the FCO, but I was stationed at the British consulate in Miami, was I helped um, set up legislation for parole and probation systems in some, some of the British overseas territories in the Caribbean. Um, they had parole and probation, like people would be sentenced to it, but there weren't necessarily laws put in place to regulate how that would work, like with parole boards and stuff. Okay. And so I worked with some British um, lawyers and with my bosses at the FCO to help put in place legislation of how they would actually go about doing parole boards and um, parole and probation in some of the areas in the Caribbean. I imagine when you tell people international criminal law, the first thing they think of is like the mafia and crazy yes, sting, no, crazy sting operations. I and I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't work on specific cases really because I'm not a, a British attorney. Okay. Um, I did more like research and legislation drafting and that kind of stuff. But I did travel a lot, you know, both in England and the Caribbean at the time. It was definitely my favorite job I've ever had. All right. Very interesting. So I know having kids and the decision to stay home versus going back to work can be a difficult one. It's very personal. Um, if you can, uh, can you talk at all about the decision to leave, you know, kind of your dream career to stay home with your kids and then uh, kind of the journey to entrepreneur from there? Sure. Um, so I, when I had my first daughter back in 2011, I originally went back to work and um do and I had a childcare and um, due to a family emergency with my the person providing my childcare I overnight lost my my childcare for my daughter. Oh wow! And so I was going to stay home temporarily just while we put figured out somewhere else where I was a prosecutor at the time and you really can't miss work because you're in court every single day and I had right. you know hundreds of cases and so I I took a leave of absence initially. Um, to try to figure out childcare because I live in a very metropolitan area. You know, the wait list was like six months plus right, everywhere right. for an infant. Right. And so um, the only place I could find was the opposite way of like, I live like in west of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and the only daycare provider I could find was south, but then I worked north. So it was oh, like wow. driving, yeah. you know, <laughs> all over creation. And so, um, I was set to put her in, um, in daycare in Hollywood, Florida. And then she started having some health issues and, um, she ended up in the hospital for quite a long time in oh, isolation. Wow. And, um, I ended up deciding then that my priority needed to be getting my daughter uh, diagnosed and then eventually healthy. And so, um, you know, it's kind of one of those forced decisions right, right. to stay home. But then once I was home with her, um, you know, my mindset kind of changed. I guess you could say my priorities changed. Right. And I, you know, just wanted to focus on uh, my family. All right. And I, I bet that was the right decision. Yes. I've never regretted it, I have to say. Awesome. So when you tell people you're a soap maker, uh, what's the most common reaction? I imagine something about Fight Club. Yes, it is absolutely about Fight Club. <laughs> and I usually, you know, make some joke about a some secret fight club I'm in and there, you know, I need to use, use up all I have to make soap. I definitely so, use um, human fat. So if you have any fat, I would love to use it. <laughs> yes. No, I do not use any. Um, I actually stick to um, plant fats to make my soap. I have made um, bacon soap at, oh, wow. uh, you know, per someone's request. And um, 
I did actually render bacon to make that soap. Um, it was a maple bacon soap and it does smell very good, but <laughs> I, otherwise I only <laughs> use plant, um, you know, materials in the making of my soap. All right. So common reaction other than that, questions about the process or why, or sounds um, or some joke about lot. it being very lucrative, I'm sure. Or... Um, yes, I do. I do get a lot of, um, like you said before, kind of the too pretty to use or why would I spend more when I can buy, you know, cheap soap at the grocery store? I get a lot of that. Or why would you want it to be so pretty if you're just using it? And, you know, for me, it's my art or my craft. And, right, you right. Know, I do make bars that are like more playing. I, like I have a line I call plain Jane soap. But, um, you know, for those people who can't bring themselves to use a very decorative bar. But um, for me, it's just, I find it to be, you know, it's like my artistic outlet. And yet at the same time, the, the nerd in me and the, the person who loves science in me likes that it's a, a craft that also has the science aspect to right, it. Like right. I have to, I have to um, measure, you know, everything. It's a chemical reaction. So right. everything has to be measured, I mean, to the gram. Um, and you know, I like making up my own recipes. Um, I took, like I said, I took a class from, um, uh, Greenwood soaps to learn to make soap. And literally after my first class, I started like, it, there's something called a lie calculator where it helps you figure out the equations. Okay. And I started playing with it and making my own recipes. I'm not saying the first few were any sort of good recipes, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, like, I know a lot of, yeah, a lot of soap makers, you know, stick to a tried and true recipe, which I absolutely understand why, but I like to play with them and just try different ones and see what I like, depending on either like what, like say if it's a fruity scented soap, I'll use mango butter. But if it's a like bakery scented soap, I use cocoa butter okay. and those, you know, they feel different in soap. They react differently. Um, or if it's something where it's like a more subtle scent, I'll use shea butter because it doesn't, it's not as naturally scented as maybe mango or cocoa is, but I like playing with like that. It's like a science and an art at the same time. All right. All right. Um, you mentioned that it's caustic when you're first getting, uh, getting it going. So any close calls yes. or any, uh, any blooper reel no, highlights I do, or <laughs> I do wear protective gear when I make it, I wear, you know, um, goggles and like a painter's mask and um i wear long I, I try to wear long sleeves i do live in south florida right <laughs> um but i and i do um always wear gloves but you know you and i have obviously very separate equipment that i use that i wouldn't use for anything else um right. but after about i always wait like one to three days to to move it out of the molds at all but you can you can use it like say after three or four days. But I I let my soap cure four to six weeks because before that it's too soft and it would dissipate if you like if you put water on it. And right. so um, I let it cure till the water discount goes away. <laughs> yes, very technical. It, yes, it gets very technical. But anyways, I let it sit for four to six weeks curing so that it's a hard bar to use and then obviously it's not caustic. Um, you haven't almost burned the house down or anything. No, I definitely have not. <laughs> Thank goodness. But I do know I, I do know other soapers who have had injuries, but oh, wow. typically it's it's because they're in a hurry or they, you know, try to just fix it real quick without putting gloves on. I mean, it can burn you. It's, you know, that's tends to be what happens. You can get a lie burn. Um, but luckily I have had like a little speck bounce on me and it does burn like on my arms or something, but mm -hmm. um you just put a lot of cold water on it and um no, I actually 
am careful about suiting up every time I make it. So I haven't personally had any problems. All right. All right. So you're talking to people about your soap and I'm sure another thing they bring up is, oh, well, look at my skin. It's dry or it's this or is that. I mean, have you had to learn any of the esthetician type stuff or any of the skincare stuff like that to really be able to help people or does that not come up that often? I get asked it a lot, but actually Florida is a very um, like stringent law state about cosmetics versus soap. Soap's its own category. Okay. Um, and so I don't have to have any sort of cosmetic license to make soap, okay. but I can't make any claims about it. Um, you know, in terms of any certain ingredients helping with any ailments or anything, oh, right, um, right. or I become a cosmetic. So, right, right. um, I definitely make ones that are known to help with certain things, but right. I don't ever claim that they do. Like that. Yeah. 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 Like I actually know how to make liquid soap and bath bombs and all those kind of things. But at this time, I only sell hard bar soap because it's a separate category under Florida law. Understand, understand. Yeah, you got to keep the uh, FDA and the testing and licensing. Mm -hmm. You got to keep all that off your back. As an attorney, I'm sure you're well aware. Yes. Any preconceived misconceptions about soap making or mom slash entrepreneurs that you'd like to dispel? I would say, well, the biggest, I think the biggest um, things I ever get are, I, I definitely get, I would, what I can't think of a better word to use than like pity that I have chosen to give up law for now. Right. Um, and I've definitely got, oh, you're just a mom now where you're just, a, you know. Right. And to me, I mean, I have nothing but the utmost respect for mothers who do practice law. And I plan to go back when my children are a little bit older. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things that for me and for my family, given our situation, this was a conscious decision to make, you know, and for myself and for my children, I'm never going to regret that I spent this time with them, but it's not something to be pitied for. It right. was a, you know, a conscious decision that I, like I said, I've never looked back. I mean, sure. I've had the days where, you know, I miss traveling or, you know, dressing up and doing my hair even, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I wouldn't, trade the time I've had with them these past few years for anything you know yeah you're not a victim of your choices you're well in some cases people are but I mean you're an yes. you're an active participant in your own choices and your own yeah life. and I keep you know I'm, I'm certified still in both Georgia and Florida and I plan to keep both licenses up I actually was able to trademark my name myself using my legal knowledge you know it's funny nice. because I started getting all these ads like, you know, to trademark and we'll help you for this fee and whatever. And I, I mean, I actually never practiced that type of law. But when I read up on the statute and the process um, of how to go about it, you know, I figured, well, this is something I can do myself. I'm not saying I could do it for anyone else because I'm definitely no expert in it. Right. But I did put my, you know, my legal knowledge to work for my soap business. Um, and like I said, at some point I do plan to return to law. And I, you know, I think, I think it's not, law is not a field that's as easy for working mothers to return to after a break, but um, right. I think it's getting better. And I plan to find, you know, find some more eventually where it is a good environment for that, which, you know, given that I will still be a mother, then I would rather be somewhere where they are more open to that, um, you know, those kind of lifestyle choices. Awesome. So, so far, what has been your biggest triumph? You know, is it law school? Is it entrepreneurial? I mean, what, what do you think has been your biggest triumph so far? My biggest triumph, well, I think it would be, would be, you know, getting through law school and being a lawyer and doing that successfully and then making 
a decision to have a family and make that my priority for now. And, you know, and then on top of it, make a business myself, something that was a hobby um, that turned into a business. And I've successfully, you know, kept it afloat for just over two years now. And, um, you know, we will see where it takes me and where my eventual career path continues to take me. But um, I consider those all, you know, successes in their own right. Right, right. And how about biggest failure, biggest disappointment, and anything you learned from that? Um, my biggest disappointment, at least as a soap maker thus far, is um, the very first store that ever contacted me about. They approached me about putting my product in their store. Okay. At the time, they were importing um, soap from Georgia, and so you know somebody had been in their store shopping and gave them, like, showed them pictures of my stuff and gave them my information. And they contacted me, and I went and met with them, and um, they asked me to change my name of my company. Oh, and wow. And I refused, and they wouldn't carry my products. So that was – it was a huge disappointment, but I also stood by my convictions. Right. And, you know, you can private label things, and they didn't want to go that route. They huh. literally wanted me to change my name, and I stood by my convictions. And it was a disappointment at the time, but at the same time, I – feel like I maintained my integrity not doing it what oh, yeah. they asked. Oh yeah. So going forward, how do you define success for yourself? Um I define success for myself as as being content with what I have and what I've done. Um I do, you know, I obviously find, you know, joys and triumphs in each aspect of my life. And at times there's huge low points, but I wanna, you know, the whole you want to sit and look back and feel like you're happy with how it went or you're content with where it was, you know? Right. If you had gone to that soap making class and it hadn't been so great, you know, you hadn't loved it. What do you think you'd be doing instead? Uh, you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of ideas. It sounds like you do all your Pinterest, uh, board, you try to build it out. I've seen some of your, uh, crafts that you've done for your girls and for play dates and food and all kinds of stuff. So yes, I do think if it hadn't been soap making, be what do you think it would be? It would probably be, yeah, children's party planner. Okay. Um, uh, or, you know, or like homemade craft decorator for people for holidays. I do get, you know, um, I am the mom at school that gets hit up for quote unquote Pinterest treats. All I right. missed the last um, PTF meeting and was told that I had been signed up by someone else to bring the Pinterest treats for the Thanksgiving play. <laughs> so... That would be, it would be something crafty. Um, I would say, you know, just given the face of life I'm in, it would probably be yeah, children's like party or activity planner or, you know, doing those kind of crafty things for someone else who might not have the time to do them. All right. All right. If you could go back to the start of your journey and see 15-year-old Sarah wearing Doc Martens and listening to punk rock and to Larry, anything you'd tell her? I would tell her that it's not... Your journey is not going to be what you think it's going to be, but you'll be happy with where you end up. I never thought, you know, I'd be in Florida via London, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I honestly pictured myself in some big high rise building working long hours. And on it, that, the, at the time, that ex the idea of that excited me compared, right. you know, to growing up in a smaller more quiet town. Um, and I definitely did have some of that when I worked in Atlanta, my office like hung over Georgia 400, which is the biggest highway running right through the middle of the city. Oh wow! Um, and I enjoyed it while I did it, you know, and I enjoyed traveling, um, and, you know, kind of seeing the world and making my mark when I worked um, with the British consulate, but, you know, I ended up where I am for a reason and I wouldn't trade it for anything. 
Any last words of advice? Creativity, art, life, anything? I would say don't ever discount yourself as a creative person. If you would have asked me growing up, I don't know that I would have ever said I was particularly creative. Um, you know, growing up, my mom and sister were really into things like scrapbooking and it just never interested me. So I think that made me think, and I was more interested in like debate or, you know, politics and that kind of stuff. And I think that made me think that I wasn't creative, but then I found a craft that combines my love of science with an art. And, um, you know, and I did find my creativity. I just took a little bit longer than other people. Awesome. All right, Sarah, so the holidays are coming up. Do you have any holiday specials or any awesome Christmas shapes or smells you want to tell people about? Um, I do have uh, multiple Christmas offerings. Um, I have my my favorite, personally, is um, a Three Wise Men soap, which is gold frankincense and myrrh. Um, it has actual frankincense and myrrh mixed in it, um, oh, like wow. ground up and then mixed in the soap. And um, it's topped with myrrh gum, um, like the actual resin, and um, gold mineral mica. That one is my favorite for Christmas. Um, you know, for me, I feel like it embodies the true spirit of Christmas. Yeah. Um, I also have a Peace on Earth soap, um, which is, you know, blue and green with um, doves on top. And then I have some of the, like, traditional Christmas shapes like snowmen, snowflakes, um, Christmas trees, um, Christmas lights. You name it, Christmassy, I got it. Oh, I also have... Um, Sugar Plum Fairy, oh, wow. which is my best seller so far this holiday season. Awesome, awesome. Which it's, yes, it's, you know, more of a, like, light, fruity, scented soap with um, glitter and fairies on top. And I have two daughters, so it's quite popular in my household. Awesome, awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you coming on and talking about your story and chasing your dream and doing what you have to do for your family and making peace with that and finding a way to move forward with creativity. I, I think that's awesome, and I think it's a, an interesting story to tell, so I'm glad to help get it out there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Once again, you can find Sarah's soaps at psalm51soap.com or on Facebook at psalm51soap. You can also find her on Instagram at psalm51soap where you can see some behind-the-scenes pictures of her setup, of places she's going to be, and also pictures of all the soaps she has currently. And some, There's some really interesting stuff on there, lots of different colors, lots of different shapes, characters you might recognize. It's really cool. This has been the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. You can find us on the web at themaslowpeak.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud. You can also check out our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Maslow Peak for behind-the-scenes details. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.